This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to today's episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. We have a full house joining me this afternoon to talk about Everton's 2-1 defeat to Luton Town at the weekend. I will go in order of Joe Thomas, Gav Buckland and Chris Beasley. Joe, I'll start with you because there's no point sugarcoating it. We need to get straight into it. Everton beating again at home at Goodison the weekend. Four straight home defeats now. Just when you think the Blues have turned a corner, sure. along comes another horror show. Horror show is a good way to describe it, isn't it? I think because, albeit obviously Everton were competitive in the game for most of it, this wasn't a smash and grab yeah. from Luton. I think that's one of the big concerns. Continuation of the home form, which is atrocious, big problem, questions as a result of that. There are lots of things in which we can talk about from this 90 minutes. I think I'll go from first from the start and then from the end that concern me. The first one was in, in the first half, particularly that first 25 minutes before Luton got the goal, was albeit Everton created chances and, and they should have scored. Luton also created chances as well. And it, it made me, it worries me that it felt like Luton, it felt very clearly like Luton went into this game and identified it as a game that they could potentially win or have some attacking joy. They didn't come and stick. They didn't, they didn't come and think, oh, we can get a very useful point here and stick 11 men behind the ball. They came out and they, you know, then they went for Everton, which is why Everton created chances the other way. Obviously didn't take them. Everton had plenty of warnings about Luton's threat, failed to heed them. Uh, we'll come on to set pieces later, I'm sure. You know, flip it through for the last half an hour, the whole last second half, based on my match report on this, just a complete lack of cohesion, intelligence, maturity, maturity, authority in that second half display. That Everton side is better on paper than that Luton side, you know, quite considerably, I think. And when Everton needed goals, there just didn't seem to be a plan. There just didn't seem to be any kind of attacking identity. And I thought that once Dominic Calvert-Lewin got that goal back on the stroke of half time, I thought, you know what, Everton, they've got 45, probably 55, 60 minutes here just to calm things down, have a little thing, do what they did at Brentford. After Brentford, the thing that impressed me most at Brentford was, you know, they should have been ahead at half time. They weren't, but they were the better side and they seemed to identify that. They came out the second half, that first 15 minutes before they got the second goal at Brentford, they played as if they knew they were the better side. They didn't play in a rush. They were just controlled, and eventually it came. And I thought, if they had 45 minutes that in the second half against Luton, they'd at least got a point. Probably it might even have got the win. Instead, they didn't. They just they just panicked. There was, there was just no, it was lump long balls up, and, and that was it. And, 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 and that really is a worry as well for me. Gav? As someone who predicted the three 0 win for the Blues on Friday <laughs> in, in this pod, <laughs> I take it you was a pretty disappointed man leaving Goodison Park on Saturday evening. I am, yeah, I was, yeah, I was. Uh, I'm contractually obliged. You know, you did text me after the pod on Friday to say that I was uh, being a bit over ambitious and that you were worried. <laughs> and I did uh, respond to it by saying, you know, sort of along the lines of, "Don't get too cocky because you got you fluked the Brentford." <laughs> Game, you know, and to be fair, Connor spot on again for the second consecutive week. It was, um, it was frustrating for me on the base that I thought we started quite well. First, we, we looked like a team for the first 10 15 minutes, we'd won their previous two two matches, you know, with good performances. There was a little bit of inventiveness in around the box, uh, some nice interplay. We created a couple of half chances, and then as Joe was saying, there, Luton gradually got into the game, like they, they believed that they'd get something from it and you know then we know what happened they had three or four corners and then you just realize we're going to be in trouble here if they get another corner and we know what happened and and that was the frustrating thing for me was that well the the, the, 
you know, the, the, the good start was wasted. And then equally frustrating the second half, as Joe was saying, or, you know, how many times have you seen a team 2 0 down, they score just before half time and it changes the game, especially when they're, you know, they're at home and you think come back in the second half, win 3 2. And it was nothing of the sort, was it? We just we just created very, very little in the second half, a better header, and that was about it. And that was that. that so that, that was the frustrating thing for me, uh, the start and the end of the game, really, Connor. I think just to be on the prediction side of things, just to not blow my own trumpet too much, I did say at half time, and I'll be wrong that Everton are going to win this when we were talking at half time because I I was of the opinion that they would get a leveller, yeah, and then they're going to win it because I think Luton would get caught in the thing of does he stick or twist in the sense of yeah, defend and play for a point because you've been soon up or. Triangle back at Everton, so I was wrong in that. I was wrong. Oh, re- re- really, for you these days. Well, yeah, yeah, that's not often said. Yeah, yeah. Chris, there used to be a common theme at Everton of the away day blues. You know, yeah. struggles on the road. You know, horrific away form, some really bad performances, some really damaging results. But this time, it's swings and roundabouts because it's the home form that's affecting the Blues and you know another team has come and took all three points yeah and that's concerning because as much as we can enjoy those back-to-back away wins you know in the, in the likelihood is you're not going to have a season where Everton are going to win the majority of their away matches they, they're, they're going to be propped up you'd hope by the, their form at Goodison Park and it's a frustration for the managers very much a frustration for the fans because Joe and I were fortunate enough along with those um, those paying fans who saw those games at Brentford and Villa to to see those performances but you know the majority of Evertonians let's be realistic are only going to see them at, at Goodison Park and that's four defeats out of four now barely a goal obviously that was the first goal they'd scored all season at home and uh, even there to wait seemingly an eternity for that one before the VAR result came came through it's it's very not just frustrating but concerning um how um I mean I spoke to Michael Ball earlier today for his, his column and he talks about Sean Dyche has been unable to sort of tap in onto the, the power of Goodison. I remember him speaking uh, back in um, ahead of the Fulham game last season when he wanted to, you know, use that phrase, uh, turn it into a fortress, and it's just not happened for them. They've, they've, uh, they, obviously they won the game they needed to against Bournemouth right at the end, but they've not had enough home wins. And when they have come, they've been one nil, haven't they? So when they do go behind like that, they're always playing catch up. So yeah, it's very concerning, and of course for those those long suffering supporters who turn up in great numbers week in week out you know it's it's a miserable existence for them i did my piece last last night um about a, a small child we could hear uh, inconsolable after the final whistle who was crying and i said well it's been a trail of tears at goodison for, for everton for a long time now never mind yeah, claims of of good times that's that's how what it's become and yeah it, it, it's it's very it's very tough and like we said just as we thought they turned a the corner and we might actually have a bit of positivity to talk about it, it's same old problems joe we, we will get into the game and, and look at evidence you know defensive shambles at the, at the back from set piece and stuff but I want to ask about Sean Dyche because obviously after the game on, on Saturday you know, you're on Twitter and stuff like that and you speak to people and the jury very much seems out on Sean Dyche in terms of what people think you know there's, there's an argument that another manager maybe could get more out of these players but when you look at how Everton set up certainly in the first 15-20 minutes they create you know, five or six good openings you know if we're being honest, they probably should be three 0 up with the chances they've got. You know, certainly Rissa Garnagay should should score. He can't really do any more, can he? In the sense because he set the team up to create chances, and we've seen this not just the, the Luton game at home this season where they have created almost probably the exception of Arsenal. 
he can't really do no more probably than go on there himself and put the ball in the back of the net, can he? Because the team are set up to create chances in the yard. They're just not taking them. Yeah, I, I have a degree of sympathy for, for Sean Dyche in, in this. Um, I'd have picked the same starting 11 that he picked. You know, we, we do a piece before the games where we do that. And I I think he was perhaps caught in a in a bit of a trap with, with James Garner, where James Garner had such a good week, there was no way you could leave him out the yeah. starting lineup. But then it was a, do you disrupt the centre midfield or not? Obviously, you know, you potentially moved him in the middle. There's a case for going, well, this is Luton, go at them, get Arno Dan Juma down the left and, and, and attack them. And, and, and maybe that was the case, but... Yeah, given the week that they had, I, I I thought that that was fair enough, and given the first fifteen minutes, I thought that was fair enough with the way with with the way they started. In that, albeit there were opportunities for Luton to go up the other end, Evan had plenty plenty of their own. And I think I think where my sympathy comes in for him is, is that obviously we know he's inherited a very difficult situation at Everton. Kept them up last season, deserves the credit for that, and it deserves to still have some credit in the bank going into this season as a result of that. But regardless, you know, regardless of what him and Kevin Fowler were discussing around the yeah, transfer market, he can only work with what he's got. And what he's done with that group of players is he's, he's set up a team which which really should have double figure points by now. All he can do is create a t- set up a team to create chances. He can't put the chance in the back of the net, and time and time again we're seeing it. That's undermining them and. The first fifteen minutes, they had some good chances. They had some didn't have great chances. You know, they weren't ripping Luton apart, but they were in and around the box a lot, and they certainly should have made the keeper work a lot harder for it. Um, you know, if if you know, if if Drissigay gets his shot on target, if albeit Evan are losing by this point, but I mean James Garner's header, great yeah. run. You know, brilliant, great to see him ghost in like that, but should have done better with the header. You know, Dyche can't take responsibility for everything. And he can't take responsibility for that finishing, just like he couldn't take responsibility for Ducore and Mopes finishing against um you know against Fulham mm-hmm. earlier on the season and then similar against Wolves. Yeah, I think we all kind of universally agree that he's probably handled Dominic Calvert Lewin's attempts to get fit reasonably well. Um and obviously, you know, it was only back towards the end of the the, the transfer when they were able to sign Beto and, and, and reinforce it striking options so even the players on the pitch aren't his fault because look at the options that he had to choose from and then you flip aside you know you look at the you, you look at defensively where the two goals come from I mean Evan had had warnings from set pieces already you know we saw Tom Lockyer's header like he won it too easily it funded over the bar Everton got away with one there were 38,000 blues in that stadium going oh we have to be careful here about set pieces and it seems like the only ones who weren't allied to that were the 11 players that were on the pitch. Because obviously we, we saw what happened with the next corner where this time Carlton Morris, again, someone you'd expect to be challenging in the air for these things, gets ahead of it and then cause the, the, the problems that lead to Lockyer's goal. And then they've had the second warning, which they have failed to, to learn the lessons from. And then in the next set piece, you've got Carlton Morris at the back post, completely unmarked. Yeah. Now, you know, we can talk about set pieces in general. We can talk, you know, there are lots of things that we can talk about from, you know, Deitch and how he sets teams up and et cetera, et cetera. But there is an, I, I can't believe that there is a scenario that unfolds at Finch Farm in the games between Villa and Luton where they're not saying, I'll oh, just keep an eye on them. Yeah. You know, Luton's biggest attacking threat from don't set mark pieces. Don't, don't <laughs> mark Carlton Morris, you yeah. know, and, and, I, and I just can't see how in the middle of all that game, especially with the warns they've had, the fact that of those 11 players on the pitch, 
you know, you would think that people would have specifically been assigned to Mark Carl and Morris because he's one of their biggest threats. And Tom Lockyer as well. And Tom Lockyer as well. But I'm mainly talking about the second goal here because because obviously Carl and Morris is completely unmarked at the back post. Surely there should be someone there who sat there thinking, oh, where's my man? Oh, mm. he's not here. Well, okay, well, where is he? Oh, look, he's over there unmarked at the back post in acres of space. Again, I don't think Deitch can take responsibility for that because... At some point, the players have to do that as well. They get a big theme in the feet. And I, and, I, and I also, tactically, I think he probably got things wrong in the second half. But the players also do need to take some responsibility mm-hmm. here as well. You know, he keeps saying they've got to write their own story. Well, they are the authors of that page and, and uh, of, that, of that narrative. And, you know, the, the failures to take responsibility for their own actions, either taking the chances or marking your players or having the awareness to look around and see what the problem is and actually try and do something about it. Yeah, severely lacking against Luton. And I only think Deitch can take part of the blame for that. Like, I, I think a lot of that on Saturday has to go down to the players. And therefore, I, I do have a bit of sympathy for, for Deitch. I don't know what else he can do. Because even if, for all the chances that they missed, if they just defend set pieces properly, they still come out of that with mm. a 1-0 win, it, in theory, you know. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, in terms of creating chances, missing chances, yeah. Everton are becoming some of the experts at Goodison Park this season because it was another day when several good openings in Premier League went, went begging. So 21 attempts on goals or something like that. Of which um, large come in the first half. Yeah, yeah, but that was, that was, that was a, you know, symbolic in, in its own way, wasn't it really? Yeah, I, I felt, I'm not sure whether the stats bear this out, but I felt that be wearing a, not as good chances as against Fulham and Wolves. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can think of the the um, the Garner header and the, the you know Garner guy needs. I don't know what he's got on the end of his football boots, but yeah. um, I can't remember them. The goalie having a great, having to make a great save. You know, I mean, against Fulham, like Mope had like two or three chances here and there, one on ones and stuff. But I can't remember on Saturday. Apart from the goal, where you think, oh, we should have scored there. Apart from the the Garner header, um, but twenty one attempts on goal, you will be expecting more, you know, more of expectation of goals, aren't you? Really, from twenty, I say more than twenty attempts, and that, and it was just symbolic of those three three home games, wasn't it? Really, we should we should be converting our possession, I mean, sixty odd percent possession, wasn't it? Possession. Shots should be generating more goals than what it is for us at the moment, and and I think, I think I, I agree with Joe again. I think the second half we lost shape, didn't we? And we lost any the, the sort of potency we'd shown in the first twenty minutes of that dissipated, hasn't it? By by the second half because the the shape of the team had gone and some of the creativity had gone, and it also showed as well. By the way, that whatever, whatever we can get away with them and Garner plays in the middle is is that thing about. We haven't got really the guile in and around the box is in very short supply, isn't it? You know, to create, you know, what you would call it, an expected goal or whatever. XG. XG, you know, to create that, that you know, where you just get it to the bar and pull it back and somebody there to knock it in at the end of the six-yard box. We haven't got that in us. Well, it felt like Jack Harrison had been cursed, didn't it? He'd only 20 minutes into his Goodison Park career and he put one right in the Gladys Street Rose head didn't take ring for it long for it to I, I, I suppose <laughs> so but he also, he also yeah. put a gorgeous 
in swinging ball across with his left foot across the box that no one mm. no one put in and, and, and it speaks to some of what you just said there yeah. Gav obviously you'd be looking for Dominic Carvalhoon to be on and that well, one yeah. thing I noticed in the last 20 minutes was he was increasingly dropping deep to try and be that kind mm. of creator. Yeah, yeah, that's the, I was going to mention this. That's the problem with four four two, isn't it? Is one of your strikers will, 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 will come will, will naturally come deeper to look for the ball and to add the X man in midfield. So you you end up basically playing the same system as with Decore, don't you? But you've got Calvert Lewin in, in the in the Decore role. And that, that happens, and it happened. That happened to uh, Brentford, wasn't it? It was a great ball put in. It's a core. He should have just carried on running. Yeah. And he had the tapping at the far post, didn't he? And I think, um, yeah, it's that, that sort of stuff's missing. We're, up, we're creating a lot of goal opportunities, but we're not, for me, creating what you would call hackneyed old phrase, Gilshead's chance. Yeah. You know, that, that's the, the frustrating thing for me. And you saw that in abundance on on uh, on Saturday. Chris, where is the? The big worry for you from from all this from like an attacking point of view because I spoke to Dominic Carvalho afterwards and yeah. he, he was kind of saying, well, you know, we're creating chances and that's the most important thing because if you weren't creating then you'd be worried and stuff like that. But, you know, like, like the lads have touched on, you've got to create good openings and then take them and Everton, you know, seemingly can't really create that great of openings and certainly not take them. Yeah, I mean, there did seem to be, I mean, both when you've got, <laughs> when you're attending the post-match press conferences and you've got the two managers, there's always going to be two prisms in which the game is viewed from the two opposition managers and uh, to be fair I was probably side more with Rob Edwards um, interpretation of events and Sean Dyche's because Sean um, Dyche mentioned all the chances again but like we said the keeper wasn't worked yeah. it was, a lot of those chances were off target other than the header from Ghana and I think even Amadou Anana had one that flashed across would have been a real spectacular one but again off target keeper didn't have to, to deal with it and even as we say um Dyge sort of, um, he did sort of um, explain why he was mentioning it, but he, XG even came onto his lips at, at one point when he was explaining the, the stuff that he'd done. Whereas Rob Edwards was actually saying when I was speaking to him about, um, it, it, they, were, they weren't exactly clinging on. It's, it's not like, it, you know, it were, they, the Everton were knocking at the door and uh, it seemed only a matter of time, as, as we've all said. Maybe they might have been there for another hour or so and they still might not have scored. That was the concerning thing, the way Everton lost their way in the, in the second half and the way there's a lack of consistency after those two terrific performances. I mean, we made the point of it, uh, what a glorious upbeat podcast it, it was on Friday. It was, you know, it was pride before the fall almost. Yeah, yeah. That you know, the, you know, Everton, Evertonians actually thinking they just for a moment they could enjoy themselves. Just you know, go to Goodison Park and actually feel wrong straight away, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, um, um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's it's that it's that lack of consistency. That except that the only thing that they are consistent, unfortunately, at the moment is is this dire home form and the the fact that they're they're running out of games already. Four games, you say, other than Arsenal. They're all games you'd expect Everton to get something from, you know. Get certainly not getting beat. Um, so that's the problem. In isolation, these games aren't so bad. I mean, you could say Saturday was in terms of the strength of the opposition and just how glared in the errors were for the two Luton goals. They're very concerning, but it's not like they're getting to. It's not that we've only had the, the Aston Villa game where they were totally outclassed. But when it's happening most weeks, you know, you're, you're losing by that one goal every week, and then. That's when you know the alarm bell starts to ring because, okay, they, they could be slow starters and they pick things up. And it's only a few days ago that we we're saying, oh well, everything's looking rosy for Everton now. There's options in there and he can shuffle things around. And then they they throw in a performance like that. 
Joe, I know your verdict was pretty much on this lines, but for me, when Chris says the alarm bells were ringing, the alarm bells were ringing more for that last 20 minutes when Everton, I don't know whether it was a sense of desperation because they knew that they were behind and, you know, they're probably staring down the barrel of another defeat to a team everyone thinks they should be, you know, not just beaten, but beaten comfortably, or whether they just simply ran out of ideas and didn't really have anything up the sleeve to, to combat how, you know, defensively organised Luton were. But to just see James Tarkovsky pumping balls needlessly, well, hopelessly forwards, and Calvert-Loom seemingly having to win the flick on to then go after the flick on his one himself, just, for me, was quite worrying and alarming because the, the talent Evan have got in their squads, they should be producing a lot more, much better than that. They should be. Um, and I think probably the, the one in-game mistake that I think Deitch made was, was when he brought better one. And I know that there's been a lot of, like, clamour for the idea of Beto and Calvert-Lewin up front together. Yeah, I've said on here already, he, I, I, that doesn't seem the obvious move for me. The obvious move for me is if you're going to go with two up top to put Dan Juma alongside one of them um, and then have him as a support striker, someone who's got that little bit more of that guy who can beat a player with the ball at his feet uh, and someone who maybe you, know, you would fancy to get a decent shot on target, essentially, if, if you've got a bit of space 20 yards out. Um, and I thought the problem, you know, Talk about Tarkovsky pumping long balls. When you when you look at the Everton midfield and the lack of guard that we've already talked about, I don't think Deitch has set up a side that he ever envisages playing that much through the middle. Uh, we've seen Amadou Anana do it from time to time, and, and you know he's uh, got a great assist for Ghana against Villa, and, and and should have had a few assists against against um, Fulham. You know he, he can play that through ball when he's got a bit of time and space. But but really, you know, when you when you put better one as opposed to Dan Juma, and you've got better and, and Calvin on top, of, what else are they going to do other than mm-hmm. pump lumbles? And 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 the frustrating thing is, there's probably a bit of a failure to realise that's exactly what Luton would have wanted. That's when they're going to be at their most comfortable. You know, side that's come up from the Championship and is fighting to you know, even I mean, the conversation around Luton is not even fighting to stay in the Premier League, but fighting to try and just keep it respectable in the Premier League this season. Um and and there just wasn't any cohesion to the attack and I thought that that was the problem with bringing better on where they did um and I think that I kind of look at this from both sides of the coin on the one hand I think Dyche didn't help the situation with that change um on the other hand I think you also then look at the problems that he's inherited and this is a side that can only play one type of football, really. Mm. Um, it can only really play that 4-5-1, 4-4-1-1. It's a squad designed for a certain it's type of manager as well, isn't it? For, it's, well, it's a squad designed for a certain type of, of football. And I think it's easy to say that, you know, that, that it's being created for the manager as a, a style of play that this manager's most comfortable with. But I also do think, in fairness to him and, and, and Kevin Farrell, you have to look at the the pieces that they had to mm. start the summer with and you bear in mind all the players that left and with the resources that they had it was going to be very very difficult for them to it was very they, they were already struggling with their plan a because they needed to get a, a talismanic you know focal point striker in to, to play just in case Calvert-Lewin gets you know suffers with his injury problems again so they already they had a they already only had probably three-fifths of a plan a and they didn't have the resources to solve that and then move on to a plan B and then, you know, maybe start thinking like a plan C. You know, that squad depth is a problem. Um, you know, Deitch has said it's a problem. It's a problem that we felt at the beginning of the season with the injuries. It's a problem that isn't so much of an issue now in the sense that so many players are coming back. 
but it's a problem that may well rear its head again when we get towards Christmas. You look at the you look at December, not just the amount of games, but also the quality of the opponents that they're going to get, the time of the year that it is, pressure that be on those players and those bodies, you know, and the pressure that may well come on them from the position that they're going to be in the league. You know, then it's going to be problematic again. And 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 I don't think you can't blame Deitch for that. You know, we know the wider situation at Everton, the problems of the years of misspending and misdirection and where they've taken them so 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 yeah I mean there was a lot to be concerned about in that last 20 minutes the last half an hour I think Deitch added to the problems with with, with that change probably would have been more sensible to have brought Dan Juma on rather than Beto and then maybe bring better one for Calvert-Lewin for the last 20-25 minutes um, but yeah it's if, if, they, if they can't create good opportunities at home to Luton when they really need to it it is a problem uh, and it does point to problems going on further in, into the season as well so I think it's something that we, we do need to be concerned about obviously the challenge now is to make Luton the, the blip and Brentford, Villa and Bournemouth coming up the norm mm-hmm. as opposed to making what we all fear might be the case that Villa and Brentford were the blip and yeah, Bournemouth on Saturday is not necessarily saying this from a managerial context, but just from the season in general. Bournemouth is looking very, very important. We'll save all that Bournemouth talk for Friday. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but no, Gav, yeah. Joe touched his own on a battle change and substitution. But I actually thought a little bit Everton lost away when he took a dress of a guy off at half time and moved. Obviously, James Garner's yeah. in the middle and put Jack Harris not wide because for as good as. Garner and Onana were at Aston Villa and if as good as the two of them can be in terms of potential it just felt like they didn't have a almost like a responsible adult telling them what to do and they were a little bit <laughs> it was kind of like a little bit a little bit like they were just doing what they thought was, yeah, was, was right and, and I think Everton lost away a little bit in that sense because the game just become far too open yeah I think that's a fair point um, I think we argued on argued on Friday that I played James Garner in the middle mm. with um Anana and Decore, so at the field, obviously, it gives us more passing ability and, and creativity. Is what you're seeing so far, but yeah, you, you're right. We we lost our shape, didn't we? I mean, and I think Garn, when you see the game, I think Garner Gay is quite a good player to have because he he will chase the ball forward and, and, and get it back. Mm. And and I think you know, James Garner is a more of a technical player. Where I think if you certainly away from home. I think he's far more suited for, for for when he's trying to control a game rather than chase it. And I felt I felt in the second half, def- you're right. Ironically enough, having the conversations we had about like James Garner on Friday, that we did lose that little bit of energy, and and that brings me on to the other point I was going to raise is Anana. He's a, he's a strange player for me. Is is he should? I felt on Saturday that he should be setting the tempo in the second half. He, he's, yeah. the, he's the young player. He's got the legs, and he should be setting the tempo for the team. He's got the game for it, and I find that when we. When we're chasing the game like we have done a couple of times at home in in the second half, I, I, I won't say he hides, but I don't think he's a, he's the influence on the team in terms of driving them forward as what he should be, and I, that was disappointing again for me. I, I just feel at the moment that when we play well, he plays well. When we don't play well, you don't see that much of him. Yeah, I, and, I think to to coin a, a phrase, 
used often by my granddad. He doesn't grab the game by the scruff of the neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> nice yeah, little yeah, 80s, 90s yeah, stroll back yeah, for the yeah, listeners yeah. there. Thank God he said scruff of the neck. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to say something else. But yeah, yeah. And, and exactly, exactly. He's, he's, he's got the game for it. He's got the personality yeah. for it. You know, he's got the physical attributes for it. But he just doesn't. And and he, he should be doing that. I think he, he's, he's eminently capable of doing that. But I find that he, he does the opposite. Yeah. He grabs the game by the scruff of the neck to a degree when we're winning or we've got a chance. You know, like you said about the Brentford game on, on Saturday, first 15 minutes of the second half, when you can win this and he'll up his game. When we're getting beat, he, he doesn't. He, he, strangely enough, for somebody who's obviously quite um, an outgoing personality, it appears to go into his shell. And consequently, we, we miss Garner Gay as a result of that. I never thought to say that because, as you know, I'm not as big as fan, but I, I felt we, you're right. I thought we missed Garner Gay's presence and his bourbon and capability in the second half and um, and that was one of the reasons why we just failed to, to pose any sort yeah, of threat. I don't know whether it's a case obviously they don't play 4-4-2 that often so and Garen and I perhaps haven't got the understanding just yet of how to play as a two but I just thought they take the two and really know what to do and where to go it was kind of like James Garner dropping in deep to get the ball and Arnold just seems to be floating around the pitch and, and gaps just appeared all over the pitch essentially and enabled Luton I think to get out get up the pitch a lot easier than what they they probably should have been able to because we didn't recycle the ball back to put them under pressure as good as, good as we should have done yeah and that's the problem at home isn't it away from home you can you can. I mean I felt the three at the back work really well as I said on Friday but, but those two in front when there's two when there's four you know four at the back two central defenders the role is a two is slightly different and slightly different to what it was at Villa and, and you, you, you felt that you felt there was a little bit of disorganised just making up as they go along which is always a danger when you change things around quite fundamentally at half time but yeah you, you, I think you're right there Connor. I think uh, Garner Gay's presence was missed to be fair The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Bees and other substitute who was thrown on in a, in a bid to wrestle something back from the game was obviously Beto. Yeah. I think it's fair to say he enjoyed a, a tough afternoon. I think nothing kind of quite come off yeah. for the big man up top. Is the concern a little bit, I mean, one of my concerns a little bit from, from watching at the weekend is Beto could almost become the perfect starting number nine, but he's not maybe the type of player who will be have an impact off the bench. He needs to start and go into a game rather than be thrown on with 20 minutes to go. But I just thought on Saturday we certainly saw when Sean Dice his caution a few weeks ago about, you know, he's a bit rough and a bit yeah. you know, a bit raw. We saw that if it was all clear to see. Perhaps so though. He obviously made an impact on his, his debut at Doncaster Rovers, then he came off the bench and I don't think that was quite difficult. He starts yeah. the Sheffield United, doesn't he? Yeah. So well, I'm saying um, come off the bench. Yeah, yeah. So um yeah, but, but of course it's, it's just, I just hope it's not one of those where he comes in, you know, twenty four hours later and nobody sort of knows what he's about, whereas mm-hmm. now teams are obviously gonna start doing their homework on, on Beto and, and what he what he offers. Um yeah, it's, it's early days, yeah. I mean it's, it's like I said, it was only a few days ago we're saying, Oh, isn't it great? We've got these like for like <laughs> alternatives and you know, Beto and Carver Louis can in, interchange those and yeah, if you know, one of them starts off and the other one can come on and finish. But yeah, for me, it's, it, it's kind of what I've heard from him already and what I've spoken to people from from Portugal and knew him when he was younger. Um, he's obviously a great athlete. 
that he's quick, but he also, you know, he's intelligent in the way he can hold the ball up and stuff, but just seems to um, need that little bit more composure. I mean, a bit of a con- another concern it when you're talking about your one of your main strikers. I mean, with the finishing power, because a few of them haven't quite come off. Obviously, there was one at Brentford that went roll across face of goal. But to be fair, him and Calvert Lewin, like we were saying, they, they weren't playing to the, their strengths. It's not like they, they were getting the crosses in towards them. And I think um, nothing Michael Ball said to me is that when Harrison came on, I mean, he never once got to the byline. I know he likes to cut inside and stuff. And he's mentioned the one cross that they'd go in there and there was nobody there. But yeah, they weren't playing to, to the, the two strikers' strengths. But yeah, it's, 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 it's early days for better. I'm certainly... I'd much rather have him there as an alternative to, to, to Calvert-Lewin um, rather than Neil Mopé, who's anything but a life-of-life replacement. It's actually just as a very small issue, side issue. It's just what um, would happen with Yosef Chimiti now because obviously mm. he came in earlier in the summer and uh, for a long time was actually Everton's only cash purchase before obviously they got those deals done later on. And... Um, Given that they've signed another six foot four inch Portuguese centre forward in Beto, who's a lot more further along the line, I'm just interested. I've been doing these um, EFL trophy um, games the last couple of weeks, and that's been the problem with with Everton in both of those games is that they'd not the build up play had been decent, they've been good technically, but just nothing in the final third. And you're thinking this would probably be the ideal opportunity to for Jamiti to learn the English game yeah. and to sort of come in in those games. he's It's not like he'd be an overage player, you know, he, he fits into that category. I'm just interested, you know, it's not like, we, it's not one of the main issues that we, we've got this week with Everton of everything that's gone wrong at, at the weekend. But just, he's sort of caught there, isn't he, between Calvert-Lewin and Beto, both ahead of him now. You'd think that, you know, you'd be getting a bit more of like game time in Paul Tate's side. Um, so it was just interesting with me doing those two games in that competition that he wasn't involved in those well you can't see Sean Dyche playing 4-3-3 anytime so you can't even <laughs> all, all three the pitch at once Joel just, just one more before we, we wrap up and finish three interesting spectators at Goodison Park on Saturday for the game see Josh Wonder Steve Pascoe and Don Dreisfield of 7-7 partners taking up their seats on the front row of the director's box what do you think they would have made of what they witnessed well, one thing I was like, breath there, I think so. <laughs> it sums it up. Well, I mean, they can't be under any illusions, can they? Mm. You know, they've come and seen that you know, Goodison is, is, a, is a wonderful stadium, you know, a, a tribute to, to British football. Um, you know, they're seeing a fan base which which is passionate, which is behind its side, and, and, and which can, you know is, is a powerful force when it can be harnessed. Uh, obviously, the players are struggling to do so at the moment, but that wasn't for any fault of the fans. I thought they were, you know, I thought there was a lot of goodwill towards the players and a lot of patience with them on on Saturday. And unfortunately, yeah, they they, they, they couldn't take advantage. Um, I think they've got a glimpse of just how difficult things are. You know, I, I don't obviously we know that, that Don Dransfield is is a football man. I don't know how much the other two know mm. about football in, in particular, but I can't imagine that they'll have, you know, regardless of whether their understanding is good or bad, I, uh, I think it's pretty hard to come away from a defeat against a newly promoted side such as Luton who haven't won all season and, and be hugely positive mm. uh, about what's happened. I mean, one of the things I was looking out for, we saw it at Brentford before the game um, last week. There was a and a, a 777 not welcome banner unfurled and I was looking for it in the home fan and, and, and I couldn't couldn't see it at Goodison so um, you know I think that it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of the fan base at the minute is, is, is conflicted really about where the direction that they want the club to go in bearing in mind how poor and limited the options um, seem to be 
unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they've got a, a a good dose of reality. I think they probably would have mo- they would have learned more than they would have done if they did, if, if the Everton we expected had turned up and won their third game in a week. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Perhaps the good, the bad, and the ugly yeah. <laughs> is, is a good way to describe it. But gents, we will leave things there. I think we've chewed the fat on all things Luton enough for, for our listeners to uh, listen back in horror, perhaps, and recall the events. But we will, of course, be back on Friday to preview Everton's next Premier League fixture, which is a huge home game against Bournemouth. But for today, thank you very much for listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.